Central, I'm excited this morning that we have the opportunity to hear from Ron Mitten. We've been supporting Ron and Nancy Mitten now for quite a while. They're, they're missionaries over to the Ukraine. And, uh, and one of the reasons why I'm really excited that we get to support them is just their uh, ministry philosophy and their missionary philosophy over there. They, they didn't just go over there and plant a church, which they could have done, and they could have, uh, you know, planted probably a pretty large church over in Ukraine if that was their idea. But um, their purpose has been to equip Ukrainians then to go and plant churches and for Ukrainians to reach Ukrainians. And so, uh, and they've done that incredibly well. Um, so, you know, I'm really excited just for that. And then also, in addition just to being a, a missionary and equipping other and just multiplying themselves and making more disciples and who are able to make disciples, uh, Ron is also uh, just a, a, a preeminent Greek scholar, okay? He really is. And um, so I'm excited for you to hear him bring the word to us this mor- morning. So if you will, please welcome Ron Mitten. All right. Okay, before we actually get into our message, uh, let me just say a couple words. Uh, first of all, I want to introduce Nancy. I'm going to have her stand. And if you can imagine, you don't really know me that well, because some of the stuff that the preacher set up here is, you know, you got to watch what they say. But sometimes I can be a rascal, and my wife has put up with me for 51 years. <laughs> That's pretty serious. Yeah, give her a hand. But also we have, uh, we've been in Ukraine for about 18 years, and uh, the Lord is blessed. And we primarily focus on the Word of God, which is what we're going to be focusing on here. But uh, I remember when COVID happened, and we were back in the States for just a short time, and we tried to fly back for five months, five months in a row. Every month they canceled our plane because of this COVID stuff. But we finally made it back, and we got back in about, I think it was uh, January, February, yeah, I think February. And... Um, at that same time, uh, Tanya came, and she was, had been visiting her family, and she came back to Kharkiv at our church, same place, and we met her. And what's interesting is Nancy and I have been praying every day for a new worker to help us because we needed an admin, admin person. And, you know, when we needed someone, it's not easy to find the right person because we prayed that we need someone that can read and write and speak and understand when someone else speaks uh, and be able to do the computer programs and translate between, and you have to be able to do it, all that in Russian, English, and Ukrainian to go between them and all that stuff. And so it's hard to find someone. And so I told her that, and she said, I can do that. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, <laughs> that's pretty unusual. But so we had, had her come for an interview, and it wasn't long until we knew this is the one. <laughs> I said to Nancy, one time I said, Nancy, make plans. We're going to go visit her, her uh, parents because we need to get on their good side. Anyway, she's been with us for three years, and when the war came, it, our city is the, in Kharkiv, is the northeast part of Ukraine, is the most bombed city in the war, and they're still, unfortunately, even now, they're still hitting missiles. Just last week, can you imagine, they, hit, they have a big blood bank where the people donate a lot of blood they, all the time. They're donating for the army and for other sick people, and Russians blew that purse up, place up and killed people so that, to try to hurt the army more. So life is rough, but uh, to thank the Lord, there's some good things happening, but when the war came... Uh, Tanya was uh, in her apartment and the bombs were coming right there in our city and she could feel the walls vibrating and the windows shake and all that. So she'll, she'll say a couple things. She's going to come and give a quick testimony and then sing a song in the Ukrainian language uh, called, uh, I think, well, she'll introduce for you, but it's based on Psalm 42. 
morning, everyone. Uh, so I'm Tanya, and I came here with Ron and Nancy Minton. I met them about three years ago in our Kharkov church, and uh, back in Ukraine, we became good friends and started working together. I'm glad that I can be here in such a safe place as the U.S. right now. Unfortunately, in my country, it is not like this anymore because we have war and many um, really difficult and um, uh, even horrible scenes are happening right now. Uh, so many people, they lost their houses, uh, even family members. They were forced to move to safer places, even abroad, and abandon their houses and um, places where they have been living for the whole of uh, their lives. And um, it's very difficult, and um, it's really challenging for many of them. But you know, despite all those things, um, I can see how God works through his people. And so many churches in Ukraine right now, they are in a huge ministry. Uh, they help to uh, refugees, they provide them with goods, uh, food, um, everything that they need, accommodation. But the main part, they uh, share the gospel with them. They uh, tell about Christ. And uh, people are more responsive, uh, they are more open to that, and we have many new families in our uh, church, even in Kharkov and in some other churches that I heard about. And um, right now, Ukraine is a place where so many new ministries um, began uh, to start, and um, that is something, you know, that encourages me. So many people, they are praying for us, and I know that you uh, you pray too, and uh, we have been to so many churches in the U.S., and people uh, tell me that actually they are praying, and we should continue doing that. That's a very important part in it. And I've got a song for you, As a Dear Panthers to the Water. It was translated into Ukrainian language, and we like it very much in Ukraine. Я колень прагне до потоків, так душа моя прагне тебе. Я бажаю тобі сказати, що я так люблю тебе. Ти один моє серце знаєш, і в нього ти любовливаєш. Я бажаю тобі сказати, що я так люблю тебе. Thank you. All right. Well, I went to the back because uh, Tanya said she wanted to preach afterward, but I guess she changed her mind. So, no, she actually, it's interesting that uh, all that stuff that she talked about because, sad to say this, but Americans are, including myself, I'm looking in the mirror when I'm saying this, Americans are very uh, affluent and lazy, and we. We know we have the gospel. We know we're supposed to share the gospel. We worship Jesus Christ. We tell him we're going to obey him. But don't forget the same Jesus could look at people and say, why do you say stuff like, Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you to do? And when we show our images of Ukraine, and Tanya talked about this a little bit, 
we have, like our van, for example, we have people that take our van, and they have done this for a year, and they distribute stuff, and they give, they give food and blankets and candles and matches and stuff people need to stay alive. But we also give New Testaments and give them the gospel, and a lot of people come to Christ that are filling up the churches. But the amazing thing is that this guy's been shot at. It says, it says right on the car, a volunteer, which means you're not allowed to shoot these people, and they're not military, okay? But the Russians have shot bullets in his car, in our car, twice, and we had to pay to get the thing repaired and going again. And we think one more time, it got, one of the mirrors got shut up. But what I'm saying is that what's amazing to me, and I'm saying to me, and it should be amazing to you and convicting to you, is that these Ukrainians know the Word of God. We've been teaching them day in and day out. I mean, they're, you know, they've still got a ways to go, of course, just like we do. But they know that it's their duty to share the gospel. And they will... This guy is risking his life. I mean, it's not easy to do that when you know that they can shoot you. <laughs> and yet we are afraid even to, you know, give a tract to someone or talk to someone. But there's not a person in this room that can't just invite your neighbor or the friends you work with or someone, anybody you meet, you could just befriend them and say, yeah, you should come down to Central Baptist. It's an amazing church. We have this amazing professor, I mean, pastor, same thing. He's both. And by the way, he is a serious teacher of the Word of God. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but you can bring them in here, and they can hear people that will show them how to become a born again. And the purpose is we all do this for one reason, and that is we grow the church that Jesus said, I'm going to build it, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And, his, and I'm going to talk about this in just a minute. And his command was us for us to spread this word around the world, and he uses the church, he uses us to do that. And the more we bring in people, the more we train them in the faith to do the same thing, the more we can obey what Jesus told us to do. It may be that no one in this room except us is called to go to Ukraine. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But I can guarantee you this, right now you're called in Portsmouth, right here at Central Baptist Church, to build this church and to obey Jesus' commands and love him with all your heart and to get this work done and help spread this word around the world. Those people that you bring in here, some of them are going to get born again, and you never know, in 10 years, they may be a pastor and start a whole new church and do the same thing over again. Now, just a couple thoughts. I want to try to focus on the importance of the Word of God in our life today. And it's amazing to me that, uh, like, uh, I, just, I just finished this sermon. I told the pastor about it. I just finished this sermon. And it's on the, the Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. By the way, that sermon... Uh, and I've been wanting to, I wrote this whole sermon, did a lot of work on it, and diagrammed it in Greek and all this stuff, and I really wanted it to be good. And I finished it, and I haven't had a chance to preach it yet. I was tempted, but I haven't done it. But I did test it on uh, Nancy and Tanya had to listen to me one day. They said, you need a little more work. Okay, so I was there working on it. Okay, anyway, but the point is, what I'm saying is this, is that when Jesus was from John, actually part of 13, but all of 14 through 17, uh, really to the end of John, except for these post-resurrection appearances, what happened is this takes place in the last week of Jesus' life. When Jesus said all that great stuff in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father but me, and he's teaching all this stuff. John 14, 15, 16, he's teaching all this stuff about the Holy Spirit. He's given all this teaching. Think of it, that's in John 14, and the book of John has a long ways to go. But think of, remember in your mind, this is the way I remember it myself. 14, 14, and that is, and John 14 happened just 14 hours, approximate, 
just 14 hours before they crucified him. I mean, think of that. The whole third of the book of John is still to go yet. And this is all coming together. All four of the Gospels focus on this. And one thing Jesus said in John 17, 17, in that thing we should be calling the Lord's Prayer, not the example prayer in, in Matthew and Luke. But in that prayer, Jesus, he talked a lot about the Word of God. And he said, he prays not just for those disciples, but for all who are going to believe the Bible and read the Bible and get saved because of their word that they leave. In other words, because of the New Testament that they wrote and finished. And in verse 17, he prayed to God the Father. He said, God, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. So what Jesus said, can you imagine his final prayer? He says sanctify. And the word sanctify means to strengthen, to grow, encourage, like we see this discipleship, one of these things of discipleship right here, grow. And the Word of God is able, it's a supernatural book, and it's able to transform us. So Jesus thought that was important, so it really is important to us. I want to couple, mention a couple things that we're going to look in real quickly at the last few verses of Matthew. But it's interesting, when I was uh, looking in the pastoral epistles, it's a class that we have in Ukraine. It's uh, the epistles that Paul wrote to uh, churches or people who are going to be churches, lead churches, tells how to deacons and how to choose pastors and all this stuff, a lot of stuff about the church in there. And he, it's first, first and Second Timothy and Titus. And he wrote those to these pastors and saying, here's the way it's going to be done. But the amazing thing is he uses this word didaskalia, which is doctrine or teaching. When we read in English the word doctrine and teaching, most of the time it comes from this word, from this noun didaskalia, which means, uh, and it's the same meaning, the word teaching and doctrine are a little bit different in English way we use it, but in Greek it's the same word. And there's kind of a lot of things like that. The word dove and pigeon in Greek is the same word, and they're very similar, by the way. Anyway, but the point is this, when we read the pastoral epistles, and you can go home and get your concordance, or some of you have your telephone. Don't do it now. You can get on your concordance on your telephone and look this up. If you do that, you will be shocked to see how often he talks about doctrine and teaching in these books. Because these are books that he's writing to pastors. People are going to be pastoring churches, and it's forever written in the Word of God, which is telling us, here's the pastor's main job. You know what the pastor's main job is? If you break it down to one sentence, the pastor's main job is to make the Word of God more clear. Make it clear to people and make them understand it and so that they can obey it. Because the Word of God is able to transform us. The pastor's main job, he does a lot of stuff. He marries and baptizes and, and all those other weird things that they do. That's why I love Jesus called me to teaching, not to do the hard stuff. I mean, I was talking to him the other day, and he says, I love the ministry. It's the people I can't stand. He, he did not say that, by the way. But I have read that in a book. And I know where it came from. I know how it comes from. Anyway, it's amazing that when Paul would write his, and he's right toward the end of his ministry, by the way, when he would say, this is what's really important. Get your concordance. Those, more than any books of the Bible, those three books mention these doctrine and teaching, how important it is over and over and over again. Why? Because the Bible is supernatural. The Bible says that it's able to transform us. We're, we can be transformed. That we're not supposed to be living by, living by this world standard, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And that's by the Word of God. It even says in there, by the Word of God. The Bible is living and powerful. It's active. That means it's able to do something. And it discerns. And the way the wording is in there, it's really strange. It discerns. It's able to, to like a fine knife, a sharp knife, to slice and see the parts, all the parts of a, when you slice something up, you can see little layers of it and stuff like that. Because the Bible knows what's inside you. And Jesus Christ, the living word, remember in John 3 when he said he didn't commit to them because he knew what's in people. He knows what, he knows who are the fakes, you know, the charlatans of this world. So anyway, there's a lot in the Bible that talks about this, uh, this stuff. And I do want to share just a quick word with you about, we just had this seminar on where the Bible came from and stuff like that. And I want to talk to you just a couple words uh, about what, what we talked about in that class. One of the passages that we dealt with was in Second Peter. And there we talk about how the Bible says that the Word of God did not come by the origin of man, but God used primarily prophets in the Old Testament, primarily apostles of the New Testament and their direct representatives. And the Holy Spirit directed them, guided them, moved them, led them uh, as they were writing. So much so that when they wrote, they wrote the exact words that God, uh, that God gave. Now, we didn't quite have a chance to finish our seminar, but when we get into the theology of the Word of God, we find out that even the grammar, the words, the sentences, all that's inspired. What's not inspired, <laughs> okay, is, is stuff like punctuation. Greek did not have punctuation marks in those days. By the way, can you imagine the whole thing was written in capital letters, no punctuation mark, and no spaces between words. And when you got to the column, end of the column, it made no difference. If it's one letter, two letters, three letters into word, you stopped and started over that word in the middle of the word, doesn't matter. And people might say, how could they study the Word of God? If that's your language, if you're, la- if you're learning to read like that, it reads just as easy as what you do today. So they had the Word of God from the very beginning. And what's really amazing about this passage, he says in there that, he says that for, to Timothy, he said, from a child, you have known the Word of God. He talks about his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And he said, you've known, these, you've known the Word of God, which is able to make people wise unto salvation. The Word of God has the way for eternal life, and you and I have the power and the knowledge to share that with others. If you're born again, that means somewhere, sometimes, somebody, somehow, you got the gospel. And that is able to transform lives, transform people. And then also, and he says in that passage, that all Scripture, Old and New Testament, all Scripture is given by inspiration uh, of God. That is, what it means is that it's supernatural. It's as true as God himself. It's not human words. It's God's word. And it's kind of a mystery of us how it all comes about. And there's theologians have words like conjoint, confluent, and all this stuff about how humans had a part and how God had a part. But the Bible says, Jesus said that the scripture cannot be broken until heaven and earth pass away, that the word of God will not fail. Not only is he talking about the duration, but he's also talking about the veracity or the truth of it. So the word of God is essential that we keep it into our mind. And uh, turn to, in, your, in your Bible to Matthew chapter uh, 28, the very last section of Matthew. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a little illustration that I did uh, before when we came here one time before. Uh, I think it's just last year or two years or something, a few years ago, Nancy and I were here, and I gave this illustration to the teens. We went over 
we wondered what that room over there, we went over there, and, and I, oh yeah, it had to be this last year, because Tanya was there too, and so it was just a year ago. And I remember we went there, and I gave this illustration, and it's so effective, because you think about it, whenever you, make, whenever you decide to do something, let's say you're going to make a decision, okay? Whether it's to brush your teeth, hope you'd make that decision on a regular basis, but whatever, whatever your decision is, you do that by accessing information that's stored up here in the brain. And by the way, scientists, even today, they don't know how a lot of the stuff of the brain works. They're learning tons of stuff about the brain on a regular basis, but a lot of it, we still don't know how it works. But what happens is what we do know is you make all your decisions based on information you put in. And of course, your brain's able to put it all together and do some logic and figure out stuff. But if you don't put it in, it's not there and it's not a choice. You do not have that ability. Like, for example, if you're going to do a math problem and you haven't put any information about mathematics in there, it's not going to work. It doesn't work. And if you put false information in there, that's still information. So basically what it means is before you got born again, your whole life, all you took in was 99%. A few times you heard some truth. But basically you took in the world's point of view for all of your life. And all those shelves... Try to picture your brain as a library shelf. You go and you see a library full of shelves, and there's lots of books on there. And your brain is like a, is a library shelf full of shelves in there, and everything that you've been taking your whole life is in there. Now, when you got saved, you had the Holy Spirit. Now you have the Word of God, and hopefully you've been doing Bible study and hearing and encouraging and strengthening your faith. And now you take in God's point of view. And when you make decisions, now you consider God's point of view, because you have the Word of God. When someone says you go to a party and they say, hey, let's, these little cigarettes are not so bad. You can smoke one of these and you can get kind of a little high and they're not dangerous. And, but in reality, they are dangerous. And, but you, you're going to decide yes or no, but the decision is going to be made by what you put in your brain. I mean, when the preacher gets up here and preaches all these wonderful things he preaches, he told me to say that. <laughs> he didn't. You know what? He can't, say, he can't teach you anything if he doesn't have it in here. He takes it from the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit applies it to his life. How it all works, we don't know for sure, but it's in there. And every decision you make in your life, you're going to draw from that information, and the Word of God is so important over and over and over again. This, the Bible says this is what it's going to be. Why? The disciples had it easier for three and a half years. He taught the disciples had it easier. It was not, they, knew, they knew when he left it was going to be hard. And in fact, look at those last five verses of Matthew 28. And what happened is they knew that the end was coming. They were still dull of hearing. They hadn't had enough of the Bible to really transform them. They didn't yet have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Word of God finished. But Jesus had taught them a lot. But they were a little hard hearing. Don't think of the disciples as these genius Christians. They were not. They were weak Christians. Twenty times, the Bible says, and Jesus even said many times, they're going to kill me in the third day. They're going to be killed me, and I'm going to be buried the third day. I'm going to rise again. The Bible says they never understood that. They never understood. People didn't just come up from the graveyard. Can you imagine? They didn't understand. We read that, and we hear it on Easter, and we say, that's not so difficult to understand. If you had been back there in that time, you had, your mind would not have been filled with all this stuff, and you would not... You would have all these years and years and years of the world's point of view to overcome first. Your, your shelves are full, but then you were taken into God's Word, you push some of that stuff out of the way. But we have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus Christ. 
And now here's what happened. When Jesus, after he was killed, he rose again from the grave. And that Easter Sunday, the day he rose again, he preached and he spoke five times to people. We call them post-resurrection appearances. And if you remember, it says in the Bible that he appeared to the ten. Of course, according to Acts chapter 1 and 2, Tom, uh, Judas was already in hell. So what happened? He spoke to the ten, but Thomas was not there. And that week they saw Thomas and they said, we've seen Jesus, he's risen again from the grave. And uh, he, he appeared to us and he said, I don't believe it. <laughs> he said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see these nails and, you know, the scars and all that stuff. But they stuck that spear in him. Uh, by the way, I, read, I saw a bumper sticker the other day and it said, it had a little picture of a spear going in Jesus' side and a little cross. But the big words were, and you guys, gonna, these teenagers could identify with this, <laughs> or actually 30-year-olds even. It said, my life was saved by body piercing. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's a serious testimony right there. So anyway, what happened is, what happened is all this stuff is happening, and they, they, Thomas was not there, but he came, he saw Jesus, and then uh, whenever Jesus appeared right through the wall, supernaturally to them, then Thomas, you know what he said? He fell down and he said, my Lord and my God. He worshiped him, and Jesus accepted his worship because he is God. He is God. And if he's God, that means he's the only way of salvation. And the world does not want to hear that today. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's another one of those John 14 uh, things. So listen, he is the only way. I could have gone down to Washington, D.C. I was a professor down in the D.C. area when I, we left that and went to Ukraine. I could go to those senators down there and say, my wife and I are going to Ukraine in our 50s. We're going to do missionary work over there. They would have thrown a $100 bill at me and said, bless you, my son. Go and preach this gospel of peace and all this stuff. And if I would have said to them, we're going to teach people that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and all other religions in the world are false religions. What? Why are you so mean-spirited and hateful and all these other words that they have these days? Because people don't want to hear that. The Word of God says it and declares it. And that is a doctrine we have to continually preach from this time until Jesus comes back again. But at this time... Jesus had told him back in, in several times, he had prophesied, he had been commanded. In Matthew 28, verse 10, you can see it up there. He talked to him and said, he says he's going to talk to his disciples and his brothers. First time ever he calls them these brothers because he's going to include more than the 11. And in verse 11, it finally come to the day. They don't, we don't know where it was, but it was their headquarters up north somewhere where they met. And it says, verse 16, it says, then these 11 disciples, and by the way, I shouldn't get sidetracked on this stuff, but Sometimes the Bible says the 11 or the 12, even though there might be 10 or 11, those became technical names for just his, Jesus' band of disciples. Even in 1 Corinthians 15, it says the 12, he appeared, you know, the 12 disciples, when it was only 11 for sure, because Judas was already dead. So that's kind of a technical for us. But these 11, Judas was gone, but Thomas was there. Uh, these disciples went away. Now, it's interesting, the word disciple uh, is the Greek word where the root of that word is math. And usually when I uh, tell, explain this, I look around for the youngest kid in the group, and there's no young kids here today. <laughs> and I say, this kid right here's favorite class in school is mathematics, right? And usually the kid says, no, I hate it. <laughs> so I said, shut up, kid. You're not going to get any of the love offering. But listen to this. Math today means learn numbers, but 2,000 years ago, the word math meant, in Greek, that word meant to learn anything, to be a learner, a follower, a follower of someone's teaching. That's what a disciple is. 
the teaching, to follow, to learn the teaching and follow the teaching of an individual. And the, sometimes they were, the disciples would walk around, they would teach, and I mean, the, the teacher would walk around, they would teach, and sometimes they had places, solitude places they would teach, and the disciples would take in everything he would said and learn that stuff. Now, so these 11 disciples went away to the Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. They're disciples. They learn, they obey, and they follow. And they did exactly what Jesus said. He said to go up this place, and they went up there, and, and they saw him. Now, they went there and noticed that they saw him. But according to what the scholars tell us, that of those 10, sometimes 11, we could say 11, post-resurrection appearances, uh, this one, this, the, when he appeared and gave the Great Commission at this time in Matthew 28, it would be the eighth post-resurrection appearance. It's the only place where we can coordinate 1 Corinthians 15, 6, where it says, after that, he appeared to 500 brothers at one time, which with women and children would probably be 1,000 people. So he goes up there, and he appears to all these people, and they saw him. That would indicate they realize he's not a spook. This really is him. But keep in mind, there's a 1,000 of them up there, and there's a large group of people, and the Bible says they worship him. And you remember in... Uh, remember I told you that Thomas worshipped him but all through the Bible people made a decision they're either going to worship Jesus Christ remember that song we just sang we're going to worship him forever we're going to call him holy forever because that's what he is Jesus Christ is the God man don't forget there's one God he exists forever in three persons Father, Son, Holy Spirit but 2,000 years ago God the Son took on human flesh and became a man and forever he will be fully God and fully man and he was the one that was able to die on the cross for our sins because God is infinitely holy and one sin that we, any sin that we do is an infinite sacrifice, an infinite offense against God's holiness. And no human being could ever provide a sacrifice that God would accept for, to satisfy his holy character except one, Jesus Christ, the one perfect one who never committed a sin. And so God was him and that's, we call that, we say that Jesus was satisfied or God was satisfied with that. And it says they saw him and they worshiped him because he is God. But some doubted. Now, these are Christians that are called brothers. These are faithful people that are going up there because they said, wow, Jesus is risen again from the grave. But Jesus had said, if you, don't, if you see any false teachers coming out and they're going to say, quick, come, the Christ is here. I'm the Christ. No, they says, don't believe it. I'm going to come again. But other, until then, don't believe it. They didn't doubt who is Jesus Christ. They know him and love him. It's just that they didn't have glasses yet. I could do an experiment and have all you people take your glasses off and how many fingers I had up. I did that one church and I had two fingers up and one guy said three hands. So that shows glasses work. They didn't recognize who he is. But then well, what, I like, what I like is this next verse. Because look at this. In verse 18, Jesus came to them and he spoke to them. Now he's going to give them words. But when Jesus speaks, that's the same as the written word of God because it's the living word of God speaking. And he says that he came and spoke to them. And when he said that, I know 100%, I'm sure, convinced of this, that when he spe spoke that, the doubt fled out the window. I mean, it's like a sow bug. When they see the light, phew, they're gone. And I am telling you, then I think they all bowed down and worshiped them. I would expect Jesus to immediately say, go and preach this gospel into all the world, but he did not. Because he looked at those disciples like I'm looking at you and like I'm looking at myself in the mirror. And Jesus said, even after three and a half years, even after Pastor Steve's, all this super, super teaching of the Word of God, he looked at us and he says, they're weak. They're weak. They can't do it. But I'm going to give them power to do it. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to show them how we can get it done. 
And so he doesn't say go into all the world and preach the gospel. He says this, all power is given to me in heaven and earth, a statement which our brains cannot even come close to understanding what that might mean. All the power, right, authority. John 1, 12, I've already kind of hinted to that. Jesus, the Bible says he came to his own and those did not receive him, but his own people didn't receive him, but as many as receive him, that's you and I, he gave them the exousia, the same Greek word, the power, the right, and the best translation, I think, is he gave them the authority to become children of God. There's not a saved person in this room that came to Jesus Christ, eternal life, by any authority except one, and that's Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus says, I have all the authority in the universe, all the power in the universe, and I'm going to give you a job to do. And they know, they know he's going to give their marching orders, and they're a little bit scared. It was easy to be with him for a while, but now they're in serious trouble. And what's interesting to me, when he does this, how he's going to emphasize them, emphasize the word of God. You don't hear this preached quite like this very often. You hear it preached very strong how we need to be doing evangelism and spreading the word of God, and that's true. It's definitely in this passage. And by the way, I have a whole page of notes, and if you need, anybody wants this, a whole page on the Greek, on Greek languages and stuff that, uh, that is similar to the Greek of, this, of the first word in verse uh, 19 in Greek to show that it actually is a command. Okay, it is not just as you go or if you want to go or while you go, but it is definitely the force of a command. And if you're interested in that, you can email me and I'll send, send that to you, but we can't have time to get into it now. But anyway, in verse 19 and 20, I want to just focus on a couple words real quick. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, the word teach is the same word as that he gave before, but disciple. There it's the mathetes, the noun. Here it's the mathetuo, the verb. And so what he's really saying is go and make disciples of all nations. And probably if you, if you uh, we don't have the word English to disciple, but if you have a, a translation, it probably already says make disciples. Some of the older translations says go, like this one says go and teach, but it really means go and make disciples because it actually is the word for disciple, only in a verb form, of all nations. It's really interesting to me that back in John chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus says, don't go. Not anybody but the Jews at first. He came to offer the Jews. Remember, I just read that passage. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But now, the Bible says in that same verse in John 1, 12, as many as receive him, he gave him authority to be children of God. And now he says, go and teach all nations, make disciples of all nations. The first thing that has to happen when you make a disciple is you have to win people to Christ Jesus. They have to tell the gospel. It's just like the pastor said, we go over and teach Ukrainians how to, uh, to disciplize people, how to start churches and that stuff, and they go out and do that. And by the way, even in our last, in our last time, 2017, when we came, our students had started 32 churches in Ukraine, Russia, sub, even Siberia, uh, and weird places in Latvia and other countries around, around Ukraine, and all that stuff. But what Jesus is saying here is go and make disciples of all nations. Jews, yes, but everybody. No longer is it to the Jew first, it's to everyone. Everyone needs the gospel. And he says, then he says, uh, and baptize them. Water baptize them. Notice it's them, by the way, not babies or anything like that. We teach believers baptism. That's what the Bible teaches. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I never would have put a lot of the stuff in here if I was doing this. I can guarantee you. I wouldn't put that doubted in here. I wouldn't put baptism in here. We know that water baptism is not part of our eternal salvation. But it's so important that Jesus put it in the Great Commission. I mean, it could be possible that there's a person in this room 
you've become a born again, you haven't been water baptized, you should see Pastor Steve because if you're going to obey Jesus, that's what he said to do, and you need to be water baptized. And also we can see that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity is a true doctrine, and that means that Jesus Christ is God, and that means what he says is true, and that means we have to obey him. Jesus himself looked at some unbelievers and said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? You, they always say, all oh, this religious stuff. And he says, why do you do that and don't do what I say? And because they said, well, we like doing what we say. Now, let me focus the rest of my time, and I've only got two hours left on what? We're still on Ukraine time, so I don't have to leave here. <laughs> okay, I will. Don't worry. Some of the girls up here in the front are picking up stuff, and I think they're getting ready to throw. <laughs> okay, but notice in verse 20. Here, there he gets what I really want to focus on. He says, after you win them to Christ, first you've got to go where they are, and you've got to win them, and then you also have to baptize them. And then, but, did you, but you notice getting there is not that difficult. You do, it's best if you have some information and education so you know what you're doing. And winning them is, just takes a minute. Baptism just takes a very short time. But teaching, that is a lifelong process. Because the Word of God is infinitely powerful and you cannot know it forever. You cannot know it your whole life. The preacher got up here and bragged how, how smart I am and all that stuff. And some of what he said, I can't say it's a lie, you know, we're in the church. <laughs> but maybe he stretched it a little bit. But the point is, I know nothing at all from exhausting the Bible. You can study your whole life and you will not understand the whole Bible. You will never go through all of it because it's God's word and it's more than our human brains can take in. But it has the doctrines that we need. And many, Jesus did many, 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 many things other than not in the Bible, but everything we, God wanted us to have is here. That's why in, the, in 2 Peter 2, it says that the Holy Spirit directed people to write what was down, and, and Jesus said that he, he prayed, and his prayer was answered, that, that we would be edified by the Word of God, which they left, which is the New Testament. So now, he says, take that New Testament and teach them. Didaskalia, the Greek word, which means teaching and doctrine, the same word. Remember I said in the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, that word is used over and over and over again. If you look to the concordance, you'll see that those words are so important. When Paul wrote to people that were starting churches and, or pastoring churches and leading churches, what they really need to be doing, he used the word teaching and doctrine more there than anywhere else in the whole Bible. So it's very important. By the way, in Ukraine and in the United States, Mormons, they say the Baptists are the weakest, and so that's our number one source of convert for Mormons. Can you imagine? They actually say that because they don't know, what, they don't know the Word of God, so we can take them. But Jesus says, teaching them, those disciples, the people just recently were born and baptized, teach them to observe. And the word observe, by the way, is a lot of information, not just obey, but it has a lot of stuff like know, understand, obey. Everything that we're supposed to do, even witnessing, there's a lot of stuff into, involved in this. Teaching to observe everything. That Jesus taught a lot of stuff. The Bible teaches a lot of stuff. And we like to teach selective stuff. And have you noticed some preachers only preach on the easy stuff? They don't go through expository preaching where they tell you what the Bible says and go right through the book or something like that where we can get all. But he says all things. The book of Acts calls it the whole counsel of, jo of God. And... Uh, preacher Steve here. I don't say his last name because I've, every time I try to say that word, I'm afraid I'm going to mispronounce it and his daughter's going to throw something at me. 
Anyway, but preacher Steve preaches Genesis to Revelation. You see this tie? The only reason I wore a tie so I could advertise creation right here. We believe in it because it's in the Word of God. And Jesus says, teach everything. If I said it, if it's in the Bible, that's true. That's our command. Listen, if you're born again, it's not possible to overemphasize. You have to be in the Word of God. It has to be transformed. You have to go by teaching. It can't be done with music and singing and magazines and uh, groups and fellowship alone. Those all help build. Those help build. But nothing transforms us like the Word of God. The Bible says it's supernatural. It's discerned. The Word of God discerns. It looks inside you. It's like a knife. You can slice things real fine and see. And you see all these slices of what, you know, the paleontologists slice up these cells and see all this stuff inside there. And uh, so what happens is the Bible is able to see us and reveal what we really are. And if we know it, then it gives us supernatural ability to do God's will and to transform our lives. You cannot coast forever. You can only coast down here. But the Word of God is supernatural, able to give you power and energy and ability to go uphill. And that's what we want to do is to grow in the faith. When you're going uphill, you're growing. When you're coasting, that's not good. Someone said to me the other day, said, Ron, one of the preachers said, Ron, you're getting old. I said, there's only one alternative to getting old. That's not getting old. <laughs> and, but he also said, I'm not going to say anything about anybody in this room. He also said, Ron, your hair is turning gray. And I said, preacher, this is a Joe. I said, preacher Joe, your hair is turning loose. So we're all getting old. But he said the word of God is able to do this. And notice this, when he said that, the disciples who were dull of hearing, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They will very soon. And they did not have the finished word of God, and they will very soon. They're going to write some of it. But when Jesus said that, he's given them this command. They were scared, and they were just like us. They were weak, and they were afraid. And he looked at them, just like I'm looking at you, and I'm looking into the mirror back there, and I see myself. He looked at them, and he says, they're weak. They can't do it. But i got some words that can make them do it and encourage them to do it. And I think if we realize that we're weak, you know what Jesus said, you know what the Bible says? God has chosen the weak to confound the strong. He's chosen just mere people, men and women like you and me, because he's going to do the supernatural part. He doesn't expect us to do supernatural stuff. You know what he expects us to do? He expects us to do what we can do, and the more we can, we can do, the more when we learn his word, but he's going to do what we cannot do. You cannot save someone, but you can bring the word of God to them. You can bring the truth of them, and that's your job. Jesus could have sent angels to do this, and they would have done better than, he were, than any of us ever could do. He could have sent angels to preach the word of God. Some of you won't believe what I'm going to say now, but preacher Steve has never preached a perfect sermon. He's made mistakes. You agree? See? But you know what? God could have sent angels down here and they would have been perfect, flawless. But he chose to use people, those people he died for, those lousy sinners that he redeemed. And so he chose to do that. And he says, and he's going to encourage them. And he says, and lo, I love this word lo. In Greek, even in Greek, you do just four little tiny word letters. But in Greek, in English, just two little bitty letters. It's so insignificant, little, but and meaning. It means this, and I have something very important to tell you. So listen to this. 
And then he says, I am with you. I'm, he's sending them all around the world. He says, but I, and lo, listen, I am with you. In fact, in Greek, ego is written at the beginning, and literally Jesus was saying, I myself am going to be with you. Then they said, whoa, here's this guy that the demons feared. They feared no one. They could rip chains in half. But when Jesus came, they feared. They were terrified of him. They seen him walk on water. They seen him do all this stuff. And you know what now they're saying? Whoa, he's made a promise to us. When Nancy and I went to Ukraine at 50-something years old, you know, we were educated. We were ready to go. We worked all this stuff. But then, but the truth is, we were afraid to go. We were, it's not easy. You know, there's some dangers in the world. And God had to remind us a couple times, he's with us. I went to this passage many times, and I said, we can't do this, we're too weak. But he said, I'm with you. And look at this. And the disciples got encouraged, but they were still weak a little bit. And he says, he made it even stronger. He says, I'm with you always. Wow, think of that. A couple years ago, Nancy and I drove through the uh, Wendy's or Burger King drive-up window, and I witnessed to the lady who gave her a gospel track, and she cussed at me, threw it back in my face. Didn't hurt me any. When Jesus comes back again, I'd rather be in my chair than her chair. But the point is, when, you, but when we witness to people, sometimes it takes effects, and the Holy Spirit convinces them of the truth, and it convinces them who he is and all this stuff of their sin and their need. And they get saved, and then they're on the same road that you went on. That happens to every one of us. And so Jesus, now they say that he's with you always. Never can you do anything with, for Jesus Christ. He's not right there with you. Never, never, never. And not only that, the Holy Spirit will come. We're not going to look at the last two verses of Mark, but it says Jesus went into heaven. Now let me put it in the modern young kid language. Jesus beamed up into heaven. Is that right? Beamed? Like in Star Wars. He beamed up into heaven. And then the disciples uh, went everywhere spreading the word of God. But the next verse, I mean, the next words say, the Lord, Jesus, was working with them. He doesn't have to be right here beside you. He's God. He's everywhere. And so he's going to be with us, he promised, and made it even stronger even to the end of the world. Why? Because they have a message that the people need and it's sometimes it's scary to give the message whether you're witnessing or teaching. Whatever it is, sometimes it's not easy. It takes work. It takes preparation. But we have a secret ace. We have a promise of Jesus Christ. We have the Word of God. We're filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within, within us forever. You say, but what happens if I sin? Then what you do is you prove like you're the Apostle Paul. Hey, I've got word. I've heard a rumor. It may be true or maybe not. Maybe Emma could tell me later. But I've heard word that preachers... Uh, Greek preacher Steve is the third worst sinner ever lived. Now, I'm second worst, so he's worse. He's, I'm better, worse than him. But Apostle Paul is number one. What we call the greatest Christian that ever lived, he said, "I am the chief of sinners." And if any of us wants to put ourselves above him, then you have serious problems. We are so far down the line. If we were the if we, were the, if we were that close to Paul, then we have, we're in good shape. So you're, you're lucky. So am I. Think of this. The greatest Christian that we ever know about in our life says, I'm the chief of sinners. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. But he knew, the, he knew how to solve that problem. And that's 1 John 1, 9. What happens when we sin? We get knocked down. We get dirty. We 
break fellowship with God. We're walking in this flesh. We can do good deeds and we can trick other people. We can't trick God. But the first John 1 9 says that we as Christians confess our sins to God. He is faithful and just to confess our to forgive us our sin, not to a person, only to Jesus Christ, to God the Father, we confess our sin, and he says, forgive us our sin, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even a sin that you might not know, that you might have forgot. He cleanses us even for that. That restores our fellowship. The whole passage is talking about being back in fellowship and strength with God. By the way, it even says, if anybody says they haven't lied, they make Jesus a liar, because he says you have sinned, okay? So what happens? We sin, we confess our sin, we dust the, the dirt off of our close it, get back and get in the fight again. We're weak, we're going to sin. There's not a person in this room that's not going to sin. And not unless there's someone that's just getting ready to die in the next two seconds. Okay, you're going to commit sin. But God gave a, re- a solution to that. Why? Because he looks at you and you are one of his chosen people that he gave the opportunity and responsibility to take this word around the world. And if, you don't, if you're not called to do that, you are called to be right here in Central Baptist Church in Portsmouth, Virginia, and to spread this word of God here, bring people into this church, bring your friends in the church, get people in here where they can hear the gospel, get trained, get saved, get trained, and they will grow just like you and do the same thing, and you'll spread this thing around the world even more. And that's what Jesus said it's all about. He even said, I'm going to be with you till the end, until the rapture happens. Not to the cosmos, end of the world, but to the end of time, you might say, or to the rapture. That hadn't happened yet. Let me just close with this one last illustration. I remember when I was, a, I was a teenager when I got born again. Dumas, Texas, never forget the place. And fortunately, I had a good, strong Bible teaching church, and I grew. But then when I went in the Navy, I was in the nuclear submarine service, launching nuclear torpedoes and nuclear missiles from that thing. And, and I remember that I was in torpedo in school in Key West, Florida, and I was kind of like all alone. You know, when you're away from family, church, and everybody, you know you're a Christian because you've been taught you're pretty strong and, you know, you don't do any of these bad sins and all. I mean, this gross stuff people think about bad sins. But I was kind of a drifting, you know, no one to watch me, how good I was and how bad I was and all that stuff. And I remember in Key West, Florida, it was, it was December, cold here, but down there it was warm, hot. And I was walking on the beach one day, and there was no one within a mile of me. I was going to say kilometer, but... That's six cents of a mile. <laughs> no one with it for a long time. I saw a pink piece of paper and I pulled it out of the ground and I read it and it was a gospel tract that was a famous one in those days called God's Simple Plan of Tr- Salvation from Key West Baptist Temple. What's interesting to me was God used that. It was about the gospel. I already knew I was saved, but I, that convicted me because I wasn't living like that and I wasn't telling other people about it. And I fell on my knees right there in the sand and gave my life to Christ and I said, I will serve you for my life. And there's never been a day since then I didn't want to serve Jesus. But there's been a lot of days I chose to serve. I wanted to serve, but I chose to serve Ron Minton, not Jesus Christ. And if you're honest, you're going to say the same thing. There are times when you slip in your Christian life and you say, I'm going to do it my way. And you go, maybe you go for two or three weeks, and then God maybe smacks you upside the head, and you confess your sins, and you get right, and you do it again. So the whole point is, is that we're weak, but we have this commission, we have this opportunity. And it's interesting when, when uh, oh wait, it says time to quit right here, the sign says quit. So that means, I think you put it on up there. Listen to this, the last, I'll even take my notes here so you know I'm quitting. Then I'm going to turn it over to the preacher. 
in Matthew chapter 1, at the beginning of this book, the angel come down, came down and said, he's going to be born and you're going to call his name Emmanuel. Who can tell me what it means? God is with us from the beginning. And later in the middle of that chapter, middle of that book, you know what Jesus said? If just two or three of you gather together my name, guess what? I'm right there with you. So Christian believers, we have no fear. We have the promise of God. Jesus Christ himself said, I want you to spread this word of God around the world. First, you have to learn it. Spread it around the world. And don't worry, I'm going to be right there with you to the end. Beginning, middle, and the end of that book, that's the promise that God gave us. Preacher. and make disciples. God, may we be faithful. We recognize we need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.